Good morning and Merry Christmas. It's December. I can actually say that and not get in trouble. Uh, actually, I would be the one getting other people in trouble for saying Merry Christmas too early. Uh, but we are now in Advent season, as you can see. We have our first Advent candle lit and we've had a reading. And Advent in our house is a bit more creative than it has been some other years. We have a few things going on. And there's an Advent devotional that we do that's the most meaningful part of, of what we do during Advent. But there's also a few other Advent calendars our kids are going through. And you can get an Advent calendar of almost any type. My youngest son is going through a Star Wars Lego Advent calendar. He gets a little mini project to build every single day between now and Christmas. Uh, my, my middle child has a National Geographic Advent calendar with these stones or gems in it that he can reveal and then learn about. And, and then for my oldest son, we got him some holiday-themed baseball cards and put them in 24 different stockings, and he gets to take out two cards each and every day. And for all card collectors, that's always an exciting thing each and every morning. So whatever you are doing in Advent in your home as well, I trust that it will be a meaningful and a fun and exciting season. Of course, we talk about it often here at church, like we have already this morning. And I really hope and trust that Advent has much to look forward to at Stony Brook Fellowship as well. Over the next four weeks, we are going to be digging deeper together into these four names or titles that we see prophesied by Isaiah about Jesus in Isaiah 9, verse 6. And I'm going to read that for you now. Uh, in fact, we're going to include verse 7 in our reading together. It's already been brought up a few times, but I learned that if you repeat something, there's a better chance everyone will remember it. So for the sake of, or at risk of being repetitive, let's read this once more. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we are going to look at those four titles, and this morning we will explore Jesus as our wonderful counselor. And this idea of counselor then really invokes in it this notion of wisdom and of advice and of guidance. And so I think at the very outset, I want to ask you a question. What question are you asking? What question are you asking? No matter your age or stage or season of life, I think there is often a question that we have, that we take with us uh, wherever we go. It's the first thing on our minds in the morning, and it will be simmering in the back of our minds as we go about our day. And it's often that big question we have a hard time stopping to not think about to try to go to bed at night. These could be questions or a matter of relationships. How can I try to restore a relationship that's broken? Or how can I invest in this new friendship? Or should I ask this person out? How do I talk to girls? Eek! No advice for you there, sorry. Or it could be a matter of guidance. Uh, you're considering uh, yourself at a crossroads professionally. Do I try to change my profession, go back to school, uh, change the location of where I work? Should I retire now or later? Or what in the world will I do once I'm retired? Or it could be a question or a matter of faith that's on your heart and mind. And you hear all of these stories about the Christmas season and the familiar passages that we quote. And you listen to the pastors and, and you say, I just don't know if I truly believe that. 
I mean, could Jesus really be fully God and fully man? I'm part of this, but is it my faith or is it the faith of my parents? And I want you to consider what question you are asking right now. There's a space on the back of the bulletin on your notes, so you can write down that question. You can keep it in mind as we go through this sermon together. But first, we want to make sure that we study this passage in its proper context. We, we quote Isaiah 9-6 and put them on all our, our Christmas cards, but what is the historical situation that God is speaking through his prophet to his people about? Well, when the Lord does this in Isaiah chapter 9, things are looking quite dark for Israel and for Judah. This is a, a time of a divided nation. There's the nation of Israel to the north and, and Judah with Jerusalem as its capital to the south. And what's happening to these nations is that the world-dominant power, which is Assyria during this time, is flexing its muscles. It's now looking like it's going to attack Israel and Judah. They are going to take away their sovereignty. They're being threatened by this superpower, and they have nothing they can really do about it. In fact, in verse 1 of chapter 9, it looks like um, the tribes, northern tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali have already been conquered by Assyria. Not only are they on the doorstep, but they are beginning this process of conquering. And history tells us that they go on to conquer all of the northern nation of Israel and take them into exile. And then they surround and besiege Jerusalem in Judah, and then God miraculously intervenes. It's a wonderful story. You'll have to read it on your own as well. But as, um, as things are looking dark for the people of God, Isaiah 9 then is a prophecy of hope for future deliverance, one that would have been extremely timely to the people who are reading this or hearing this for the first time. And if you can keep your Bibles open and look at the first few verses of chapter 9, we see that this hope and future deliverance is all about light coming into the darkness. The hope is described as now the joy of God's people being found again in verse 3. In verse 4, this hope is breaking of oppression. That yes, right now there may be another nation that comes and conquers you and, and takes away your sovereignty, but a day will come in the future in which this oppression will be broken. And then in verse 5, this future hope is described as a time of peace. And the key to all of these promises of this future hope is the Messiah, who is prophesied about in verses 6 and 7 that we read together. In particular, this Messiah, the anointed one of God that he has promised to send to deliver his people, will be a king, and his kingdom will know no end. And so king-like language is all around this passage. It says that the government shall be on his shoulder, and the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. So Isaiah is leaning into and, and creating this future expectation that there will be a descendant from the line of David who will one day take hold of this kingship and then that line or that kingship will never end. And as he says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. Which is why when we go to the Gospel of Matthew and we start in Matthew chapter 1, we have this wonderfully engaging genealogy. <laughs> Very few pastors preach about that at Christmas time, but the reason Matthew, who is a Jewish believer in Christ, speaking to a Jewish audience, the reason he begins with a genealogy is that he wants to prove that Jesus is a direct descendant of David, and that's to tie directly in to this promise of an eternal king, a future hope from the line of David. Jesus then fulfills this messianic expectation and this prophecy. 
So we have this beautiful knowledge of how things have come to pass being 2,000 and some years later. And at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of a king. For to us, a child is born and the son is given. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the eternal king from the line of David. He is the hope and the deliverance that Isaiah was prophesying. And so then, if Jesus is this king, what type of king can accomplish this and bring light into darkness and give the people their joy back and break oppression and bring eternal peace? Isaiah helps paint this picture by declaring the four names and titles for the king. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And now that we have the story behind the story, I want to just invite you to pray one more time as we ask God's blessing on the rest of what we will learn. Father, being Christmas time, we all always feel thankful for how you sent your son. And there are so many ways in which your son is meaningful to us. And today, as we just look at one small, specific, and yet impactful way, I pray that we would enter and encounter your word with open hearts and minds, that we would just be willing to listen to what you would have to say and really apply it to our lives as well. We thank you for this time. We commit it to you. We pray in your name. Amen. So what do we mean when we say Jesus is the wonderful counselor? Well, in order to unpack that title, I believe we need to start with the noun first. What do we mean when we talk about counselor? And so as Isaiah is prophesying specifically about a king, counselors had lots to do with a king. They were close advisors to a monarch of a country. And these counselors were different than when we use the word counselor today. So some of you are counselors, many of you go see counselors, and they will often be there to receive you and to listen to you and maybe offer a little bit of guidance. Uh, but counselors to a king were much more proactive and assertive. They didn't just listen, but they gave advice and had a significant amount of authority, of authority to help make decisions. And because of this, many kings rose and fell depending on the quality of their counselors, if they chose to listen to them at all. So it was imperative, if you were a monarch, to surround yourself with people that were wise and knowledgeable, and then you also needed to be humble enough to listen to their advice, which is not something that we see happening all the time. And in 1 Kings, we have an example of this in Solomon's son, King Rehoboam. We're going to read here now from 1 Kings chapter 12. And Rehoboam, in particular, uh, was someone who was coming on the heels of King Solomon, his father, who was a wonderfully successful monarch. And then when he died, it was always a bit of a, an unsettling time for a nation at the death of a king. And so he needed to assert his claim to the throne. And this is how he chose to do it in 1 Kings 12, verses 6 to 11. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer the people? And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them and answer them, then you will be, they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old man gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him, his friends. And he said to them, What do you advise me that we should answer the people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said, 
Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you will lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. (laughs) Very different advice. And Rehoboam, at this crucial moment of his, his fledgling kingship, decides to dismiss the wise and experienced counsel of those who had been around King Solomon and instead listen to his friends and, and take their advice because they were saying things that he wanted to hear. And this went very poorly. And if you keep reading, it was very soon after this decision that Rehoboam listens to bad advice in which the kingdom is divided into two and Israel separates the northern tribes and then Judah is all that is left. Of course, there is one notable example of where the king himself was the wisest, both king and counselor. And that would be the example of Rehoboam's father, Solomon. You may be familiar with that story when Solomon was in a very similar position of just having taken over kingship from his father, David, who also was a pretty tough act to follow. He was encountering much of the same type of of unsettling things where he didn't know how he would govern and he went about it very differently. This is the story we read about Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. I really wish God asked me that a few more times. Like, ask anything, and I will give it to you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, For who is able to govern this, your great people? So Solomon knows right off the bat, I can't do this on my own. I'm not wise enough to be the king that your people deserve. And so he asks God for wisdom. And God grants him that request. And he is so pleased of what Solomon asked for that he also, out of the goodness of his heart, bestows upon him riches and honor and a long life. That is what he promises Solomon. And as Solomon grows, all of this comes to pass. In fact, Solomon's reign was the very pinnacle of Israel as a nation. The military prowess and the victories that he won expanded the borders of Israel to the greatest extent that it had ever been from that time uh, forward or it would ever be. His great wealth became the envy of every surrounding nation. And the combination of his military might and his wealth made Israel the most prominent nation in that region for the one and only time in its history in the ancient times. Yet Solomon was not the perfectly wise king. He was not the one that the people would need to wait for. He failed to remain obedient and steadfast in his own love of the Lord and observance of his commands. In particular, Solomon failed to ensure proper worship of God. And there were so many other nations that came into Israel, and he uh, let them come right into his own household as wives and concubines, and then he also allowed them to worship their false gods. 
And this also encouraged other Israelites to do the same. And this was a great falling away from Solomon of following God. And it led to not only his downfall, but the split of the nation during the time of his son that we just read about. Proving that even the wisest king that Israel and the world has ever known was not wise enough. Something, someone more was needed in order for God's people to have all the promises that were given to them. So that is what a counselor is. But Jesus is not just a counselor as a king. He is not just Solomon again. He is a wonderful counselor. He is the wonderful counselor. The Hebrew word for wonderful means extraordinary or hard to understand. 80% of the time it's used in Scripture, it's used to describe the ways of God. God's ways are wonderful. They are above and beyond our ways. God moves in such a way that he has such wisdom and knowledge that we cannot comprehend it. There is no word for supernatural in the Hebrew language, but this is as close as it gets. So Jesus is a wonder of a counselor. That's how it would literally translate. He is a supernatural counselor. He is a counselor who is above and beyond what we can understand or explain. He is otherworldly. He is God himself. And there is a distinction between Solomon as a wise king and counselor and Jesus. And the distinction is that while Solomon was given the wisdom of God, Jesus is the wisdom of God. You see, Solomon knew his shortcomings, and he asked God to give him wisdom, and God granted that request. And when we explored and studied Proverbs together, we knew that the Jewish understanding of wisdom, wisdom is not a human achievement and something that we can conjure or create or discover. It is a God-given gift. Wisdom is an attribute of God. It is part of who he is, and he can bestow it upon his people, and he did so to Solomon in a unique way. But even with that unique gifting, there is a difference between being given something and having something that is central or intrinsic to the character or core of your being. This is kind of a, a wooden analogy, but how many of you have ever donated blood? You donated blood here? You're all maniacs, every one of you. I, I hate needles, and so me and donating blood have never really, it's never really come together as of yet, but I know it's a really important and worthwhile thing to do. As a young adult, I was already feeling pretty <laughs> unconvinced that I would be good at giving blood, and then I went with my friends, Tim and Cheryl, and they wanted to donate blood. So we drove into Calgary, and they were going to give blood, and then we're going to go watch a movie and go shopping. And so I'm sitting in the waiting room. They get pulled to some rooms on the side. And then they're not coming out right away. And eventually a nurse comes and says, is anyone here by the name of Andrew? I said, that's me. They said, both your friends have fainted. And they'll be fine, but you're going to have to drive them around the rest of the day. So it gets me to the side room, and I see both Tim and Cheryl uh, sitting down under a blanket with a juice box in one hand and a cookie in the other hand, trying to get everything they need back. And that didn't help. So they both made bad decisions. So Tim slept in, decided not to eat breakfast. So he hadn't had food for a good long time, which you're not always the best. And then Cheryl was such a, a small young woman that she had to lie about her weight because she was so convinced she wanted to give blood. And so they both, they both fainted as a result. So I have, I have still yet to give blood. But you should. Every other one of you should do it. Except for me. Because there are many people 
who are in situations. And Emma, I'm, I'm glad to hear that your friend is okay in a car accident. But she might have been in a situation in which she needed a blood transfusion in order to recover from this accident. And then there are still those who have these diseases and chronic diseases in which they will always require, they will need this gift of healthy blood from somebody else because they cannot make it on their own. And there is something so substantially different about needing something else to survive instead of having it flow through your veins. And so Solomon was gifted the wisdom of God, but the wisdom of God flows through the veins of Jesus. It is part of who he is. He is the wisdom of God. This is something that Paul worked hard to help the early church discover in Colossians 2. During this time that Paul is writing many of these letters, one of the big questions of the church is, how can we understand about who Jesus was rightly? And in one such instance, Paul writes these words. He says he wants their hearts to be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is saying what I am saying here today, which was foretold by Isaiah thousands of years ago, that Jesus is the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God made flesh the wisdom of God who came down to our level to make wisdom known. He is a wonderful, supernatural counselor, able to bring wisdom to his people in a way never seen before or experienced before. That makes him different. That's why it's capital W, wonderful, and capital C, counselor. So I asked you at the very beginning, what question are you asking yourself? What is on your mind? What's on your heart? What are you looking for guidance for? Hopefully, you've been mindful of that question so far. But I want to ask you a follow-up question. You'll also see that listed on the back of your bulletin in the notes. Since you have this question that you're asking, who are you listening to? Because there's many sources of truth or truth and wisdom and wisdom, and we need to be a discerning group of people. And so in order for us to live in the truth of Jesus as our wonderful counselor, we need to start by recognizing that we cannot do this all on our own. We need to have that heart of Solomon who looks at the task God has given him and says, I cannot do this without help. I cannot do this on my own. If we try to achieve it on our own, then we've already taken a misstep. And there are always times in our lives in which we know that we feel overwhelmed. I can still remember quite clearly I remember quite clearly at the beginning of, of COVID when it was really taking uh, root here in our country and, and the restrictions were coming and I had so many more questions than answers. I was like, what in the world is going to happen to me? Like I didn't know about the, the disease or the virus. Would I be in trouble? Would my older parents be in trouble? Uh, could we keep everyone safe in the church? And what's going to happen to church? We can't meet anymore. Uh, we've never live streamed before. We're not a very big church. Will it survive? Will I be a pastor two years from now? I had no idea what was going to happen. Way more questions than answers. And when I felt overwhelmed, I knew the person I wanted to talk to, and that was my dad. See, for a long time, my dad has been that person that when I feel like like the questions are overwhelming me and the uncertainty is overwhelming me, that I can go to him and he will listen to me. But not just that, he will give me wise counsel. He will speak to me. He'll give me advice. He'll talk about his many, many, many years of experience. And he will use that to help me in a given situation. So acknowledge you can't do it on your own. Be willing to go to people for advice. But also, don't fall into the trap of Rehoboam. 
listening only to advice you want to hear. At risk of of overstepping here, I'm going to use another example from COVID because COVID was a time in which there were so many different sources of, adv- uh, of advice or truth or knowledge and it was hard to tell what was what and with so many different outlets and so many different perspectives on, again, the nature of the virus and, and the nature of what government should do and the nature of what the church should do, it was really easy. It was really easy to find a source that you liked and to find a group of people that felt the same way as you and to make camp there and to look at all other perspectives as being hostile. And this happened all across the board. It didn't matter what you believed about certain things. There was this temptation to live in an echo chamber. And an echo chamber is where you get together with those of the exact like mind and you say, I think this is true. And everyone says, yes. And because everyone agrees with you in that chamber, you think it must be right. And you might say, I believe this to be false. And everyone says, we agree. And then because everyone agrees, you think it must be right. And when we slide into these echo chambers and we never allow other dissenting opinions or perspectives in, then we lose our ability to discern what is right. It's often in those other dissenting opinions and perspectives that we force us to dig a little bit deeper into what the truth might actually be. So let us even here not be an echo chamber, but be willing to listen to advice of others that might see things differently. Just as Rehoboam needed to listen to the elders and not his own friends, we too need to make sure that we are listening to those who see things and think about things differently. But if we can avoid those traps about thinking we can do it all on our own or about falling prey to listening only to the advice that we want to hear, then we need to go to God. And instead, it is Christ alone who offers the wisdom of God freely to those who will listen and who will obey. So when I say Jesus is your wonderful counselor, that's not meant to put a spring in your step and you go from here and then do everything on your own and listen to anyone else's advice. We need to live and we need to live in the truth and and receive the blessing of Jesus as our wonderful counselor. And I think we can get this wise counsel from Christ in three ways or in three sources. And the first is the word of God. We have the wisdom of God through the word of God. And at Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus, being full of the wisdom of God, came down to our level, and he walked on this earth, and he talked, and he modeled what living a wise life looks like. And he taught his disciples about the heart of God and what is true, and he gave them a mission to carry on. And all of this is available to us when we read God's word. We read his word, then we understand much more about what Jesus did, what his priorities were as he lived a perfectly wise life. Jesus is the wisdom of God, and so we must read the word of God in order to understand this and have this affect our life to the fullest extent. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, we need to remember, Paul is not talking about the New Testament, which hadn't been put together quite yet. He's talking about the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, and saying that even belief in Jesus as the Messiah still means that all of what God has breathed out is still true, and it's still profitable. It is still good for you to read, to understand, and to put into practice. And now we do apply that to the New Testament as well. The Bible is full of God's wisdom. It reveals what the truth is, but we have to read it to know it. And I believe we have to read it proactively, not reactively. Meaning, 
when you're in this time where the question is really big and you're feeling unsure of yourself, has anyone else ever done this before with your eyes closed? You're like, okay, God. All right, God. You got to, you got to, mm, <clears throat> tell me what to do. Okay. Thus says the Lord God. Okay. On that day, I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. Okay, there. What does that mean for my life? Now, can God use a situation like that? He's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. But the value that we get from the wisdom of the word is when we live in the word, when we are steeped in it, when we read it on our own, when we come and learn from it on Sunday morning, when we study it together in our fellowship groups, when we uh, watch studies on Right Now Media, when we're waiting in the hospital. Whatever you do, just be in the word proactively and then your life will continually be formed by the wisdom of God. And so some of this can even become natural and reflexive because we have We've been in the Word. We know what it says. We carry it with us. It gives us our priorities. That is how the Word of God can be the wisdom of Christ to us. But we also get this wise counsel from Jesus through the people of God. That's one thing that that we have been able to to do. This is a gift that we have been given. I want to look to a, a proverb here. We've talked about Solomon. We've talked about wisdom. We should read at least one proverb. This is 27 verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. It's sweet. It's fragrant. It's a gift. When you have someone or a group of people in your life that will listen to you, but also be assertive in giving you advice and helping you make decisions, then that is one way that that Jesus works through his people to give counsel to one another. And last week we talked about the importance of being a confessing church and how it could be just one person or a small group of people that you are willing to be completely honest with, even on those ways that you you sin and you fall short. And it's often going to be those same people that will be able not just to hear you, but to listen to you and to give you advice and to give you wise counsel. And you can experience the counsel from Christ through his people. For me, this happened when I was a student in grade 11 and 12, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I had, again, many more questions than answers. And I had a youth pastor at that time that said, hey, let's meet on a regular basis. Let's read the Bible, take notes about it, and then talk about it. And that's all that we did. We went to the Word of God, and he was a person of God who listened to me. And through that relationship and through the missions trip that I went on, I discerned that God was calling me to the ministry a call which I believe has been affirmed in my life. That was a direct counsel given to me by Jesus, my wonderful counselor, through someone that I uh, really respected and someone that was used by God in that instance. But when we talk about the people of God giving the wisdom of God, we also need to make sure that when people are, are listening and when they're giving advice and when they're offering counsel, that we always hold it up to what God has already said and revealed to be true. Because we don't always give perfect advice. We have to know our limits when we are trying to encourage someone that trusts us and listens to us. And we also must be a discerning listener even when we trust somebody else. They may be wrong sometimes. And the way that we can know this is when we hold it up to the Word. So again, we have to be people who are in the Word of God. And we receive the wise counsel of Jesus through His Word, through His people, and then through His Spirit, through the Holy Spirit of God. I love this. In John 14, we come to a passage that Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's really preparing them for the time that will come soon in which he will leave 
and he will no longer be with them. But he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Instead, he says in John 14, 25, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, you to, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus said, I am bodily going to be leaving you and ascend into heaven, but I will give you my spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and he will be your advocate. The Greek word there is paraclete. And some of it may be, some of your translations might have advocate or helper or comforter or counselor. Because all of those things are true in the character of the Spirit and his role in our lives. Jesus says, I am not abandoning you. I will be with you. My spirit will be sent to abide in you, with you wherever you go, whatever situation you face, whatever questions you ask, no matter how overwhelming they feel, my spirit will will guide you and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, which is bringing us back to what? Making sure that we are people in the word. Sometimes it's hard to discern what a leading of the spirit might be And sometimes the Spirit can speak loud and clear. I had one experience like this when I was a young adult and I was doing a summer job with the city of Airdrie. There were a few young women there, co-workers of mine, who liked to ask spiritual questions and would do so when we were just one-on-one. And I remember there was two of them and and, and me on a crew, and I got into the truck. And when I got into the truck, they'd been talking, and they looked at me and they said, Andrew, do you believe that, that since we don't believe in Jesus, that we are now going to hell? And in my youthful, zealous, uh, you know, vigor, I was going to be like, yeah, you know. <laughs> and then I literally, I was going to say that, and then, and then God yelled in my mind. It wasn't audible, but it was about as close to audible as you. He said, stop. I was like, and then I answered with what I believe was God's answer in that situation, which was a good, wise counsel. And I said, hey, I believe that all of us, all of us, can't have this relationship with God unless we believe in Jesus. He's the only way. But as far as where you're going and what you're doing, that's between you and God. It's not up to me to judge. But I believe Jesus is the way to know, for sure. And that was a much better response. And that wasn't my response. It was just a meaningful moment to me, not just because of the wisdom that I believe God gave me, but of his leading in that moment. He literally took the words out of my mouth, which you know doesn't happen very often because we're going a bit over time today. So sometimes it'll be a subtle leading of the Spirit. Other times it could even be an audible voice. But whatever the case may be, this is a main and significant way that the counsel of Jesus is given to us today. So let's end where we began. What question are you asking? What have you been thinking about this whole time? What wisdom are you seeking? What truth do you want to find? What decision is weighing on your heart and mind this holiday season? And with this question, ask yourself, who am I listening to? Where is the source of knowledge? Who am I relying on to make this life-altering decision? And this morning we celebrate that Jesus is indeed the wonderful counselor. He is the wisdom of God, far beyond our understanding. He is the wisdom of God that dwelt among us, showing us what it means to live a truly wise life. And he is still today able to give you wise counsel to the question you're asking through his word, through his people, and through his spirit. Amen? Let's uh, stand, we're going to pray, and then we'll sing a final song.
Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we are so grateful, especially at this time of year, to, to have received the gift of your Son, to know that you didn't look down at the, the brokenness and the darkness of this world and, and leave us behind to our own devices, to leave us to flounder and to drown. But God, instead, you came down to our level to bring this light into darkness, to bring down the wisdom of God into our lives, to be this eternal king of a perfect kingdom. God, I thank you for that gift. And I pray that as we continue to grapple with the ins and outs and the questions that life gives us in all the different ways, that we would look to you, not just for guidance or for wisdom, but to lean on, to trust on with our entire lives that you are the wonderful counselor.